Well, good morning, church. Happy New Year. If you will take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John. We'll be looking at two major portions of Scripture this morning in the book of John and in Psalm chapter 119. We'll be looking at lots of different texts, so I've done my best to put most of them up on the screen for you, but I would encourage you especially to follow along as we begin in the book of John. Now as we begin, I would like to be extremely clear that I have one primary goal this morning. I think it's an ambitious goal. It's a goal that I can't accomplish without help. I'm totally dependent on the Spirit of God to, uh, to help accomplish this. And my goal in this sermon is simply this, to inspire and encourage you to make 2017 the most Bible-saturated year of your life. To inspire and encourage you to make this coming year the most Bible-saturated year of your life. And my hope is that this time next year that you would be able to look back over this year, to look back over 2017 and see all sorts of new and lasting fruit in your life. All because you spent more time in the Bible. It could transform your marriage or it could change the direction of your life. Maybe you will become an encourager instead of a complainer. Maybe you will finally gain control over some habitual sin or finally learn to control the pattern of anger in your life. These are the kinds of things that will happen if you prayerfully give yourself to reading God's word this year. Jesus told his disciples, if my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. That's what John 15 says. And so the first thing that I would like to do is to consider this text together. Let's read John chapter 15, verses four through seven. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's, like a, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Let's pray together. Father, as we come with your word this morning, we are seeking to abide in you. And so now we are asking. Our wish this morning is not for riches or wealth or even health. Father, our desire this morning is reveal your word to us. Open our eyes to see and understand your word. I pray, Father, that you would spark new interest in our hearts, that we would in turn this year love and cherish and spend time in your words. And so, Father, my hope and my prayer is that today that my words would fall to the ground, blow away and be forgotten because we, we don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from you. 
So Father, do that for us. Let your words remain and let them bear fruit in our hearts, we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but when I read John's letter, when I read the gospel or the John's gospel, I'm often uh, find myself with my head spinning. It is infinitely deep and this passage is no exception. There's a lot that we could say about the four verses that, that I just read, but I would like to instead just untangle one primary truth from this. If you want to have a fruitful life, God's word must abide in your life. If you want to have a fruitful life, God's word must abide in your life. Another way to say this could be that, that if you want to be successful, if you want your life to be successful, then you must saturate your life in the Bible, in the Bible. Otherwise, your, your life, Jesus tells us, will be pitiful. It will be unsuccessful. It will be fruitless and it will be wasteful. Can you see how I get that from Jesus's words here? Let me try to, to break that down for you. Jesus makes a statement that without him, you and I can do nothing. Verse five says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, so, so what, is, what does that mean? Well, unless you're connected to Jesus, you cannot do anything useful. You can not produce fruit. Your life will not produce fruit and you will have no legacy. Jesus said in verse four that the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Okay, so how is it that we are connected to Christ? How, how is it that we are to abide in him? Well, he, he gives us that answer in verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The picture is that if we abide in Jesus, well, the picture is that we abide in Jesus if and when his words abide or live in us. That, that's, that's how we are united to him in fellowship. And, and so what, kind of, what happens when we live this kind of life? Well, ultimate fruitfulness, ultimate fruitfulness. Jesus says that's why we have this overwhelming and almost preposterous promise that has baffled me for most of, most of my life that, that if we live this kind of life, then ask him for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The, the logic is simple, that if God's words don't abide in you, well, you can't do anything useful. You, you cannot produce fruit. You will not do anything of lasting value. But if God's words do abide in you, then you can do anything. It's ultimate fruitfulness. And it's incredibly simple and it's helpful for us to see that there's really no middle ground here. It's much like our TVs, right? If you plug your TV into the wall, it will turn on. If you do not plug your TV into the wall, it will not turn on, right? Your successfulness in 2017 will be entirely dependent upon plugging in to Christ's word. Your life depends on it. The successfulness in your life depends entirely to the degree which you abide in Christ and his words abide in you. One of my heroes of the faith is, is a man by the name of George Mueller. 
George Mueller understood this. He was the great and mighty man of prayer who cared for more than 10,000 orphans in his life. 10,000 orphans. So often it was 2,000 orphans at a time. And he was involved with them in a very personal, fatherly, pastorly way. Mueller was also a pastor. He preached some 10,000 times in his life. Yet he recognized that he could not do anything apart from God. And so he prayed. And man, did he pray. Mueller kept a prayer journal, which he would record his prayers and then record God's answer. And in his lifetime, he recorded some 30 to 50,000 answers to prayer. Often he would, he would always write the time of the prayer and then the time of the answer. And so often as you go through his journals, you'll see that many of those prayers were answered this very same day. And some of them were answered in the very same hour. And what's interesting about Mueller's prayers is that all of his prayers were praying God's word back to God. He was a man who lived in the Bible. Man, you talk about faithfulness. You talk about fruitfulness. You talk about a legacy. I mean, this is a man that we're still talking about today, not to mention the lives that 10,000 orphans under his care influenced and impacted. Now, we might be tempted to think that, especially if you know anything about George Mueller, that, that a man like this, that he, you know, he, he, he just kind of knows God, right? He just, he walks with God and, you know, he must, he probably doesn't need his, his Bible quite as much. Well, in spite of all the things that were going on in Mueller's life, Mueller devoured the Bible. You don't have to answer, please don't, but just, just answer quietly. How many times have you read the entire Bible through? Maybe, maybe one time, some of you perhaps have read it one time. Well, for those of you who have, you know that you have to keep a pretty steady pace to finish, right? It takes some time, about three or four chapters a day, every day for 365 days. And, and then if you do that, you'll, you'll get all the way through the Bible. And, you know, if you miss a day, well, it take about, you know, 30 days to, to do your reading for the day and, and to, to catch up. George Mueller read the Bible all the way through 200 times in his life. Two hundred times. That's about three times a year for 70 years. <laughs> Do you think that made an impact on his life? Do you think that the 11,000 hours that he spent reading the Bible shaped his mind and shaped his prayer and determined his faithfulness? Jesus said, if my words abide in you and if you abide in me, ask whatever you wish some 30 to 50,000 clear things, and it will be done for you. George Mueller needed God, and he needed the Bible, and so he lived in it. If you'll flip over to Psalm chapter 119, this is the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm chapter 119. As I said this morning, my desire, my goal is to encourage and to inspire you, not to make you feel guilty, but, but to, give you, to give you courage to make 2017 the most Bible-saturated year of your life. 
No matter where you are, if you have daily Bible reading habits or if that's something you struggle with, no matter where you are, to make this coming year the most Bible-saturated year of your life. And, and in order to encourage you with that, I want to give you some practical tips from the Bible on how to read and how to do this. And so if you, if you look at Psalm chapter 119, I think it's, it's no coincidence that this is the longest chapter in the Bible. It is a chapter that is entirely devoted to celebrating the happy Bible-saturated life. It is entirely devoted to celebrating the Bible itself. 176 verses, very repetitious of how joyful and how much delight and glory there is to be found in the Bible. So it seems to me that if we wanted to learn how to read the Bible well, and if we want to be encouraged to, to read God's Word and to prioritize it over the newspaper and over Facebook and, and over TV and hunting or, or knitting or whatever, you know, whatever your thing is, right? If we want to be encouraged to, to do that, it seems to me that we could go to the chapter where an expert in the Bible delights in it and learn how to read. If there's anybody that's an expert on the Bible, I would think Psalm, the writer of Psalm 119 would be one of those folks, right? He'd be one of those folks. And, and if you read this psalm, you'll find that it's, it's packed with practical, helpful wisdom on how we can approach the Bible. And so my prayer is that, that as we consider some of these tips, that, that our hearts would be stirred with a new desire to read God's word for ourselves as we come into 2017. So let's just begin by reading these first three verses together. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They, they do no wrong, but they walk in his ways. The first thing I would like to draw your attention to from this psalm this morning is the type of attitude that we should bring when we come to the scriptures. There's a couple, a couple of things that we can see here, but the first thing I want you to see is that there is a promise. Hear me on this. There is a promise of blessing if you come to God's word. A promise of blessing that is available for those who read and keep God's word. And this gets right at the first strategy or the first method that we need to consider. And that is we need to have the right attitude when we approach the Bible. We must come expecting a blessing. I'm convinced that when I talk with folks and as I look at my own life, as I've learned to read the Bible and to have a steady diet of Bible intake, that that one of the greatest difficulties, the reason that we don't read the Bible is because we don't really expect that we're going to get much out of it. It, it. It's either not that interesting, so it doesn't stimulate us, or, or we already know it. I hear folks say, oh, I already know that story, or, or, or we just we don't see certain parts of the Bible to be important. Or, but ultimately, it's because we don't think we're going to be blessed by it. Right? Otherwise, we would do it. Most of us have never started to get serious about serious Bible intake because we just don't anticipate that the Bible matters in our lives that much. But the promise is all over the Bible that for those who take up residence in God's word, that their life will be 
blessed. It will be blessed. That's how Psalm chapter 1 begins, which I read earlier. And that's how Psalm 119 begins. But, but in Psalm chapter 1, we read, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And then the Psalm goes on to describe what that blessed life will be like. Every time that we open the Bible, we should be expecting to find happiness. We should be expecting to find new blessing. That is the result of Bible intake. Now, you, you're not going to feel it every time. Don't, don't hear that. But we have to come trusting God that he fulfills his word. And if he says he's going to bless us for keeping his words, then he's going to bless us for keeping his words. So often we come and we sit down to God's word like it's a chore. But the psalmist says, like I often say to my four-year-old, that we need an attitude adjustment, right? Because blessing awaits for those who order their lives according to Scripture. And you can't do that if you don't read. You can't do it. You just can't. But we should also come, a second attitude is that we should come in a posture of neediness, a posture of hunger. We should come to God's word with the attitude that we need something. We should come hungry. That's another way, another way to put it. We should come desperate. And that's how the psalmist talks about the Bible. In Psalm chapter 119, the rest of the, the, rest of the verses will be from Psalm 119. Verse 40, he says, Behold, I long, I long for your precepts. If in your instruction, in your righteousness, give me life. In Psalm chapter uh, Psalm verse 58, he says, I entreat or I beg, I beg for your favor with all of my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Let me ask you this. When, when you come to the Bible, do you come with great desires? Do you come longing to be filled? Do you come begging, begging? Do you know what usually happens for Christians when we read the Bible? If, if, you're, if you're a believer, if this is usually what happens, the more you read, the more you want. The more time you spend in the Bible, the more you'll begin to realize you were made for this, that, that these words are your very life. You and I were made, we were created to dwell in the vine, to fellowship with the Father. And the Bible, the Bible is the means to do that. That is God's way. It's his order for us to fulfill. You see, for the healthy Christian, the more of God you get, the more of God you'll want. Right? Haven't you seen that in your life? The more of God you get, the more that you taste, the more that you want. But the inverse is also, it's also true. You see, so many of us are satisfied with so little Bible reading, and we don't, really, we don't really feel the absence in our life because we're filling our hearts up with other things, with substitute pleasures, the, the things of earth that, that can be good and that God made, but they weren't intended to fill us so much so that we don't even have an appetite for the Bible. We have conditioned ourselves for TV, for sports, for social media, and we feel pretty satisfied. 
Because it's been so long since we really enjoyed God that we don't even remember what it's like to be full. So I would encourage you, I'd plead with you to come to the Bible expecting a blessing and to be desperate for it. I'm convinced that one of the greatest challenges to a healthy Bible life is that we have adjusted our eyes to the darkness around us. It's one of the challenges. You know what I mean? If you've been in a place that is dark and your eyes slowly adjust, well, I think that for many of us, we have let our eyes adjust to the life, uh, to the darkness that is around us. Ever since I was a Cub Scout back in uh, back in my youth, I've loved camping and, and spending the night outside in the woods. And, and, you know, one of the things that you learn early when you spend the night in the woods is to how to get around in the darkness, right? That's, that's kind of that's something you, you learn pretty, pretty quick. And there have even been a few times where I've needed to hike in the dark, which is a different, a different kind of challenge. Now, most folks who hike in the dark or camp outside uh, at, at night, you know, what we do is we tend to carry like a battery-powered headlamp. Right, you strap a light on onto your forehead so so that you can you know so that you can see. And I've always I've always done this. And now I don't know why, but ever since I was a Cub Scout, I've always been hesitant to use it. I think because my first headlamp would drain a battery in about 15 minutes, and I'd be stuck. So so I would be even though I'd I'd walk around with the lamp on my head, but I wouldn't even turn it on. Now uh, when. And it's also I feel guilty about bringing technology into the woods. But but when when I when my wife and I got married, I you know I would drag her out into the woods and and uh, and, and 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 like teach her how to like hiking, and she she caught on very quickly. But but we were talking about this, and 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 it was you know one of the tricks that I learned was that when you're in the dark woods, and you don't have a light, you can look up at the sky. And then look back down at the trail and you'll notice that the trail kind of lights up in front of you. It's a trick that, that I learned early on. Your eyes adjust and the trail almost seems to glow. But if anyone else has a light on, this, this doesn't work, right? The light pollution just kind of, it just kind of blinds you. Well, I was explaining this tip to my wife one night when we were, when we were out in the woods and, and she tried it, right? She tried it and she was like, wow. That, you know, that works really well. She was surprised at how, how well you could see in the dark if you kind of look up and then let your, let your eyes adjust. But, but then I noticed that as we kind of kept going through the evening that she kept her headlamp on. And I was like, so, because when she has her light on, I, that trick doesn't work for me and I just can't really, I can't really see very well. And, and, and I, was like, I was like, why are you, turn off your light. And she was like, Nathan, you know the actual light works better than your trick, right? And she's like, I get your point, but, but my headlamp works better than, you know, your eyes that are adjusted in the dark, right? You see, no matter how much your eyes adjust to the darkness, it still just works better to shine a light onto the trail. <laughs> and it struck me how right my wife was on our first, her first night in the woods, right? Sure, my eyes may adjust to the darkness, but... Light just works better. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet. Yet so many of us don't even bother to turn on the light. We don't bother to flip on the switch. You see, if you don't actually read the Bible, there's no light. There's, there's no light for your path. Yet for so many of us, we have, we've just gotten used to 
We've just gotten used to living our lives just kind of stumbling around with a little bit of like residual light. We're just used to the darkness. But when you read the Bible, you are flooding your heart and your life and your path with light. For those of you who are, who are high school or college students or, or young career folks, I mean, you've got all sorts of decisions to make ahead of you in your life. Well, I would plead with you, don't use the wisdom that the world uses. Don't use the same stuff. Instead, fill your mind with, with God's wisdom and watch how God will light up a path for you in his word. In Psalm 119, verses 99 and 100, the psalmist says, I have more wisdom than my teachers. Wouldn't that be nice in school, right? I have more wisdom than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. So come to God's word and expect him to light off our life. Another attitude that we need as we come to God's word is to come fearfully, to come fearfully. Far from the flippant approach that we tend to have to the Bible, when we open God's word, we should, we should recognize that it is what it is called. It is a word from God. It is God speaking. When you open your Bible, God is speaking to you. And his word is powerful, is it not? God's word creates things. He speaks and things come into existence, right? When I speak, nothing really happens. I speak to my dog. He doesn't even, he's like, whatever, you know. But when God speaks, things happen. Things are created. And it's all it took to create the world was God's word. And yet we hold God's word in our hands and we should, we should tremble. We see this all throughout this precious chapter. My flesh trembles for fear of you and I'm afraid of your judgment. Or I love verse 61, princess, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in all of your words. I love, I love this verse, Psalm, in verse 161, there's, there's clearly something bad that's happening in the psalmist's life. I don't, I don't really know what, he's in some sort of legal trouble, he's being persecuted in some way, yet he, he, all that's going on around him, yet all he can do is talk about how in awe of God's word he is. Is that, is that your life when, when your world is swirling with trouble and yet you're still consumed with God's word? Yet the Bible teaches that, that this sort of attitude, this sort of reverence, this sort of fear is the kind of attitude that gets God's attention. In Isaiah chapter 66, God says that this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is who God esteems. This is who receives the favor of God, those who come trembling at God's word. But we should also come to God's word ready to obey. The Bible will do you no good. Please hear me. The Bible will not do you good if you're not willing to conform your life to it. If you're not willing to reshape your life, this is how the psalmist speaks, right? Look at these verses. With my whole heart, I cry, answer me, O Lord. Why? Because I will keep your statutes. When you speak to me, I'm going to keep what you say. Again, in verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep or do your law and observe it with my heart. 
it is possible to spend hundreds of hours. You can read the Bible through 200 times and listen to all sorts of preaching and never change. That's possible. It's tragic and it's possible because you are holding on to some darling sin. Charles Spurgeon uh, used to call certain sins our darlings, right? It's, it's this picture of the sins that we take on to and, and we hold them tight and we coddle them. We refuse to let them go. And he said this, speaking of that, that we should strike them and kill each one of them and not let any of them escape. He says, so must it be with our sins. They are all doomed. Not one of them must be preserved. Our darling sin must die. Spare it not for its much crying. Right? I, I love that picture that, that if we approach the Bible without a heart that is ready to obey, if we maintain and nurture darling sins, that we shouldn't expect to hear anything from God. Because we've already made a truce with our sin and, and you, can't, you can't hold sin dear and approach God's word rightly. Our darling sins must die. Spare them not for their much crying. We must open our Bibles praying, God, help me to obey whatever it is that I find here. We, we could go on, but, but let's move on to some practical help for, for how the psalmist gives us some tips on how to actually read the Bible. These are the types of actions and habits that we should cultivate in our life. And some of this may sound overly simple, but I think, I think we need to start here. Do you want to get better at reading the Bible? Is that, is that a desire that God is giving you? Well, you actually have to read the Bible. This is the most basic assumption of the entire psalm. You can't really love the book if you don't read it. Right? That, that's really straightforward. I cannot say with any credibility that I love the Harry Potter books because I have not read any of the Harry Potter books. Right? I can't say that, that I love them. And so you can't say with the psalmist, I've not forgotten your statutes if, if you don't know them to begin with, if you haven't read them to begin with. Now, this is my small Bible, but you, some of you have bigger Bibles than me. Right? How much of your life will it take to master this book? How much of your life must be given to understand this? And how much of this book have we read and already forgotten? Right? Tons. Tons of it. How much of this book have we never even read? For many of us, when, you know, when we open our Bibles, you know, even if we open our Bibles regularly, we tend to focus on reading you know, certain familiar parts, like, like the New Testament or or Paul's letters, or, or maybe even the Gospels, or of course, you know, the all too familiar Psalms. And that's great. These are precious books, and I commend you for that habit. But did you realize that that's only 30% of the Bible? That there's 70% more in other places, and, and God says that all Scripture is God-breathed? Well, I must say that my secondary goal, my second, second goal this morning is to challenge you and encourage you to read all of the Bible, to read all of it and to make this a lifelong habit. The psalmist talks like this in verse 113 or verse 13. He says, with my lips, I declare all of the rules of your mouth. Well, we can't declare all of God's word if we haven't even read it all. 
Imagine what kind of darkness you have because you haven't read a certain passage. God has spoken and we haven't taken the time to read it? That's insane. God has given us this book and, and, and I'm not even talking about reading it just once, right? You read a book once and you know something about it, but that's not enough, right? I read a biology book in high school. <laughs> I, need, I need to read it again to, to, learn, to learn from it. The Bible is infinitely deep. There is no amount of string that is long enough to plumb the depths of God's word and how long will it take to master it? How long will it take us to, to know this book? How many times must we read it? Is one time enough? 20 times enough? 200 times enough? <laughs> Friends, we must give our lives to knowing God's word. I've found that one of the best way to read the whole Bible through is to simply have a plan to do it. A Bible reading plan. Outside in the lobby, there's a table that has been set up where I've selected three different Bible reading plans for you to pick from. And I would encourage you today to, to take one. By taking one, you're not committing to do it, but I would encourage you to take it and, and to prayerfully ask that God would give you help and perhaps committing to read the entire Bible this year. If, if reading the whole thing is too much, then there's also a plan out there that covers just the New Testament. And so I would encourage you to, to look at those uh, on, on the way out. And, and next Sunday night during our uh, evening Bible study time, I'm going to be talking in depth about Bible reading habits and especially uh, how to read through the Bible, some things that I've learned and some things that may be helpful to you. So, so, so plan on, on coming to that. But, but this brings me to the next tip that we get from, from Psalm 119, and that is we are to read the Bible habitually. It is to be a habit. The NIV translates verse 56 like this. This has been my practice, that I obey your precepts. The picture here is one of practice, one of constant repetition. It's the picture of a habit. This past year, I read several different books on the power and the nature of habits. And, and you probably know from, from your life about the incredible power that comes from doing something over and over again to where we don't have to, have to think about it anymore, right? Pop science says it takes about, about 30 days to form a new habit. Whether this is good, right, like flossing, or bad, like Christmas cookies. Bad, very bad habits. They've got to sort that out, right? Well, I would encourage you this morning, why don't you think about taking a, a 30-day Bible reading experiment? What, I don't know what that'll look like for you. Maybe if you don't read the Bible much or regularly, plan 30 days. You don't have to start today. Maybe start tomorrow or, or next Sunday, but maybe commit to, to 30 a 30-day Bible reading experiment. Maybe you could set your alarm 20 minutes earlier and get up and, and commit to, to read for 30 days and see what happens. Or maybe you're already in the habit of, of reading the Bible and, and you're trying to increase your Bible intake. About six years ago, I, I did something like this and, and I decided to spend my lunch hour reading the Bible and it changed my life. I remember where I was sitting when, when I did this. It was in addition to what I did in the morning. And, and I found that, that, I mean, did you know that if you spend your hour lunch break reading the Bible, you can read the entire Bible in less than three months? 
just your lunch break, right? If you cut out one TV show a night, you'll be able to read the entire Bible in about three months. Well, I would encourage you to dream up a 30-day Bible reading experiment and ask the Lord to bless it. And guess what? I promise he'll bless it. God loves to bless his word. Read the Bible habitually. Now, some of you may be thinking, hey, look, pastor, I'm a very busy person. I have so many things going on. I would never have time to read the Bible 15 minutes a day. I'm just, I'm just too busy. Well, I hear you. And, and, and I have a couple, you know, I've responded to that in a couple of ways. First of all, if you're too busy to read the Bible, you're too busy, right? So adjust your schedule. The second thing I would say is I don't believe you. I don't, I don't believe that you are that busy, especially if you have a smartphone or cable or an internet connection, right? Because we make time for what's important to us. That's, that's all there is to it. We make time for what's important to us. The psalmist had clearly built Bible reading into his schedule, right? He read it at all hours and days of the night, right? He says that I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. And then he turns around and says, I remember your name in the night, O Lord. Help me to keep your law, morning and night. And then this is one of my favorites. Psalm 119, verse 164, seven times a day, I will praise you for your righteous rules. Seven times a day. Friends, there's, there's no such thing as being too busy to read the Bible. Do you remember Daniel, right? He he, uh, he, he was known in part for his devotional habits that were built into his schedule three times a day. And, but, but he was the prime minister of a great nation. He's more important than you. And he found time three times a day. Perhaps you're a young mom whose children place more demands on you than even the prime minister of Babylon. And I can attest that that is often, that is often true. Well, I'd like to tell you about Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley was the mother of the famous John and Charles Wesley, and, and she was well known for, uh, for this story. She was the impoverished mother of 19 children. 19 children. 19. I, I, I got lots of questions there. But she was responsible for homeschooling the children, for tending the garden, even for milking the, the family cow. And you can imagine that she, of anybody, has an excuse for not not reading the Bible and having no time. Well, she taught her children. She's famous for having taught her children that when they come into the kitchen and they see her apron up over her head, that that meant that she was in private devotion and prayer and could not be disturbed. She pulled the apron over her head to teach her children, I cannot live without God's word. She devoured the Bible, the mother of 19 children. There are many other practical tips from this psalm. Let me just mention one more, and that is to read the Bible prayerfully. We are to come praying for instruction. When we come to the Bible, we do not come wisely, but we come as spiritual beggars pleading for instruction. We should come like our preschoolers often come. Gimme, 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 right? Gimme, gimme, gimme. We should come with the gimmies. God, you have got to give me. If you don't give me, if you don't feed me, I'll starve. You've got to give me help. You see, reading the Bible is not magic. I hope that I'm not communicating that. It's, it's not magic. Reading the Bible does not guarantee transformation. We need 
understanding. We need understanding. Repetition is not the same thing as understanding. It's not the same thing. So, so we don't want to be like the people that, that Isaiah mentioned, always hearing but never understanding. Could that be you? Always hearing but never understanding? Are, are you willing to admit when you don't understand something in the Bible? All right, all right, that's one of the keys to being able to read the Bible is to figure out what it means. I found that the most important thing in reading my Bible is asking God to open my eyes to understand his word. The most common prayer that I pray is verse 18. Open my eyes that I would see and behold wonderful things from your law. I'd like to close with a story I once heard about a special needs teenager who was uh, who, because of a disability, had the mind and the cognitive ability of a child. Yet he loved to read. He could read and he loved to read the Bible. He'd, he'd read a line of the Bible and then he'd stop. He'd, he'd get this funny look on his face and he'd say, what does that mean, Lord? And he'd, he'd read the verse again and, and he'd get that funny look on his face again and he'd say, what does that mean, Lord? What does that mean, Lord? And he, he would do this three times. And, and after reading it the fourth time, he would say, ah, that's what that means, Lord. And then he'd go on, he'd go on to the next verse. And he is an example for us to imitate. So often when we come to the Bible, we come with so much intellectual pride because we've been in Sunday school that we think we know it. And we're not, willing to under, we're not willing to say we don't understand or ask for help. But let me encourage you, cry out to the Lord. Come as a spiritual beggar, and you'll find that God is serious and liberal about giving out wisdom. Let me encourage you with that. Let's close in prayer. Father, as, as we come to you this morning, we continually ask that you would help us. I imagine, Father, that most of us, we, we hear words like this and we have a desire to read your word and, and perhaps we've struggled in the past or perhaps we, have, uh, we don't feel like we have enough discipline. So, Father, we ask you for help. Would you help us to commit to respond by reading your word and would you help us to do that? I ask this in your name. Amen.